Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Paychex Business Series podcast. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I am speaking today, or I've spoken to actually already, Steve Sander, who is the CEO of the Associated General Contractors of America, representing tens of thousands of contractors, small businesses uh, that do work in the construction industry. Uh, there are a lot of issues that are facing the construction industry, and our conversation was so good, we didn't even we didn't even get to some of the issues that I wanted to talk about. We are talking about the infrastructure bill, not only where it stands, but how it will impact the construction industry. And number two is we are talking about the PRO Act as well. The PRO Act could have sweeping changes to the power of unions and your ability to hire independent contractors. So very, very interesting stuff, particularly if you're in the construction industry, but for any business uh, that that is hiring outside contractors that might be affected by the infrastructure bill, you'll definitely want to listen. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Steve in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Paychex Business Series podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. So download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. Okay, I'm here with Steve Sanders. Steve, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, My pleasure, Gene. Thanks for the invitation. So, Steve, you are the CEO of the Associated General Contractors of America. So uh, let me ask you, what, what Tell me about the association. Sure. Well, we're the nation's largest commercial construction trade association. Uh, we have 27,000 members uh, all across the country. Uh, we have chapters in every state, uh, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Uh, our members uh, perform essentially everything but non-residential construction. work. And uh, uh, however, they do uh, perform multifamily construction uh, but uh, generally, it's roads, bridges, hospitals, schools, uh, power plants, water treatment plants, sewer lines, etc. Now, are these, when you say contractors or construction companies, is the typical demographic uh, individuals or are they companies with you know employees mostly? Yeah, these these are uh, construction firms, uh, and it's everywhere from mom and pop. Uh, all the way to, you know, the largest uh, brand name, uh, in some cases, publicly held companies that perform construction work. Got and uh, even though our name says general contractors, we represent specialty contractors and general contractors. And there are a lot of general contractors that at times are subcontractors to larger yeah, I was just going to ask you that because, you know, when I think of a general contractor, I think of, you know, somebody that's running a project or, you know, has a lot of subcontractors underneath them. Uh, but you're saying a lot of your members are actually drywall people or, you know, electrical subs, yeah, plumber, plumbing subs, right. you know, et cetera. Yeah. Got it. All right. That's fine. And you've got, you know, you've got uh, independent associations in every single state. And then obviously Correct. you're part of the national organization outside right. of Washington. So, uh, so let's get into it. I mean, you know, if you're listening, you know, to this podcast or watching us um, and you're in the you know, construction industry in general, um, you know, Steve is somebody who is living in this industry and dealing with the issues facing this in- industry. So um, let's first talk about infrastructure. Now, I, sure. I warn you, we still don't have an infrastructure bill um, as, as Steve and I are speaking. Um, but Steve, you know, we're we're kind of heading in that direction. I, I hope an infrastructure bill does happen. Don't you? Oh, of course. Uh, and 
you know, and the answer uh, is as to whether it's going to happen is somewhat complicated. Uh, I'll give a lawyerly response. It all depends. Yeah. Uh, and there are essentially, you know, three tracks here to look at. Uh, the first track is the president's in infrastructure plan that he announced um, earlier this year, which we can essentially forget about. That's really off the table right now. Right. Um, where the, the action is right now uh, are in two other lanes. The, fir the first lane is the so-called bipartisan infrastructure uh, framework, uh, which they are, as we speak, they are finishing out the details. Evidently, um, one of the last details is to what, it, what is going to be the investment level for mass transit. Okay. Um, and then the third uh, uh, lane here is less um, sexy and less um, interesting to the press uh, because this is the normal sausage making that typically occurs uh, in Congress. Uh, and, and there are evident, there's evidence of bipartisan cooperation here. And what I'm talking about is the, the basic nuts and bolts of, of what we call infrastructure. There's a highway and transit bill that, that the program expires on September 30th. Of this year. Mm. Uh, and the House has taken one approach. They've passed a large uh, partisan, basically partisan package uh, that garnered a, a handful of Republican votes, uh, I think two. And then the Senate, um, uh, two committees have reported out uh, their surface transportation infrastructure bill um, in the House or the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. Uh, that was reported out unanimously. So every Republican, every Democrat uh, voted to send this bill to the Senate. Uh, and then there's a component of this which uh, requires commerce, science, and transportation, another Senate committee. Uh, 11 of 14 Republicans voted for that version of the bill. This covers basically rail and, and transportation safety. And then two other committees have to, um, uh, they get a shot at the bill. One is the uh, Banking uh, and Urban Affairs Committee, which deals with the the title with, uh, of mass transit, and then the finance committee to determine how it's all paid for. Hmm. So, you know, while the, the press is focused over here on this bipartisan infrastructure framework, on this hand, uh, you have a lot of, uh, of the normal um, legislation happening that's addressing infrastructure issues. So really, it sounds like there's two bills, right? There's the bipartisan infrastructure framework, and then you've got I'd say the combined House Senate bill, however that turns out, that's highway right. transportation bill. Is that is that a fair statement? That's, that's correct. And of course, the bipartisan infrastructure framework has a, a broader approach to infrastructure than the narrow uh, high, what we would call the highway and transit. Right now, as we're speaking, the the bipartisan framework was around, if I recall, around one point two uh, trillion dollars. Yes. Um, the the highway transit bill, how does that compare in size? You don't have to give me exact numbers, but is it, yeah. is it half well, the size? Is it, you know? What, what passed out of the House and what's contemplated in the Senate is probably about half of that. Right. So it's about half. It's about half the size. And um, the highway transportation bill, 
Uh, again, however that plays between the House and the Senate bills, these would not would not be able to be passed via reconciliation, I'm assuming. In other words, it would need 60 votes right. in the Senate. That's correct. And that's why this this bipartisan infrastructure framework is is getting a lot of attention because it's uh, about 22 senators equally divided between Republicans and Democrats that are um, that are writing this framework or have written right. most of this framework. And, you know, I, I would point out that a lot of the folks in that group are are not on the committees of jurisdiction that deal with these issues. Right. So they're, um, you know, while they're committed to finding a bipartisan solution, they may not be as knowledgeable or have the depth of knowledge that their colleagues that serve on the committees that have jurisdiction. Got it. So as a consequence, we're concerned about things getting into this bill that really aren't re- aren't related and shouldn't be included in, in infrastructure legislation. Yeah, that's been an ongoing conversation as, as to how do you define infrastructure. Um, Steve, so what happened? Say the bill, let, let's, let's take a positive angle. Say the bipartisan infrastructure framework uh, gets, you know, turns into a bill and does get passed. Right. Um, how does that affect your members and how quickly does it affect your members? Yeah. Well, I, I hesitate to give you a firm answer on this because I, we haven't seen any legislative text. Right. But from from what has been leaked to us uh, and from what we read about, um, you know, there are robust funding levels um, and um, that will help uh should help contractors to have the ability to plan a little bit farther in the future. If you take a look at what's occurring in the normal legislative process that I've already discussed, I mentioned there's a September 30th deadline. Um, If you're a highway contractor, and here we are at the end of July right now, you're basically a little bit over uh, 60 days from the highway program expiring. Uh, People get a little anxious when that occurs. Uh, and, um, you know, typically Congress is able to provide for short-term extensions while they, you know, pass the legislation. But in the environment that we're in right now, um, the political environment we're in right now, um, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to have to bet on any on that happening. Right. Um, and then I'd say the other note of caution is, so let's assume the Senate puts this package together and let's assume it gets... 60 votes in the Senate, and then it's sent over to the House. Well, uh, Speaker Pelosi has already said that the House won't take the bill up unless and until the Senate passes, you know, the larger $3.5 trillion so-called human infrastructure bill under budget reconciliation. So she'll basically um, be uh, holding the bipartisan solution hostage until the partisan um spending bill comes back over from from the senate let's keep going down the road of assuming that you know again let's assume all good things happen and and there is some form of you know infrastructure bill that is passed um the the money itself goes it it goes through the states i'm assuming right i mean that that's how it flows well for most of these programs that's correct but there's there's going to be a lot of grant programs particularly on the transit side um there's yeah, there's state revolving loan funds that pay for water and sewer infrastructure. 
Now, to do business with your state wherever you are, I mean, you, you need to get certified by your state to do it, to become an official state contractor as it is. And I, I guess the question that I have for you is, you know, are your members, are you telling your members if, if they're in this industry, should they be going, you know, the way of, of getting registered, certified with their state, making sure that they can get in line to do bidding? Or does it make more sense for their members to really go uh, to, to partner up and to go after, cost, you know, companies that already are certified with the state and then, you know, your members would provide their subcontracted services? Are you referring to state? Are you referring to state licensing requirements? Not necessarily licensing, but uh, you know you have to be you know an approved state vendor. I'm assuming if you're going to uh, bid on state projects, correct? Um, well, I mean this. I mean the highway projects, highway and, and, and bridge projects are that that are funded by the federal government are basically um, it's basically federal assistance to the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know the states have a match of twenty, generally twenty percent, to match the federal funds, and the states administer the program. Um, I'm not I'm not aware of of state requirements for um, contractors to adhere to. Uh, you know, other than um, do they meet the the bonding requirements? So they you know are they uh, do they um, submit a, a responsible bid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, so, well then let me rephrase the question then if I'm a smaller contractor and I'm in Oregon or Washington state or Illinois, um, what, what do you propose that I do to go after this money? Well, um, first of all, I mean, if you are a small emerging contractor, you might want to look and see whether you're eligible for um, disadvantaged business uh, mm. designation, you know, as a minority contractor, women-owned contractor in some places, service-disabled uh, uh, veteran, you know, they, uh, categories like that, that um, may provide you, that make you attractive as a subcontractor to general contractors who have uh, goals to be uh, under those requirements, um, and to the extent that you get that designation and market yourself as meeting the criteria, that that provides you with a um, additional opportunity to pursue work. Fair enough. All right, let's pivot a little bit to talk about um, something that's also near and dear to my heart, and that's the Pro Act. Okay. Um, the Pro Act passed the House a couple of months ago, um, and and. You know, before we get into the description of what the PRO Act does, let me first ask you is, um, you know, Steve, are, are, are provisions, are, is it your understanding that provisions of the PRO Act um, are included in this infrastructure bill? There is an attempt to include them into the human infrastructure bill under budget reconciliation because that will only require uh, 50 Democratic votes. Right. Uh, so, uh, to my knowledge, um, right now, there's no, there, there will be no pro act language in the bipartisan infrastructure package. Okay. Um, now, having said that, you know, even if there are attempts to add the pro act uh, or provisions that are contemplated in the pro act and budget reconciliation, they would ha- would have to be narrow. Well, under the existing rules. Um, they would have to be narrowly drafted to meet the um, requirement under the so-called bird rule that it's mm-hmm. not 
a policy change, but it is uh, a revenue issue that right. um, positively or neg- negatively impacts the, the federal budget. So I'll give you an example of something that might be able to be, be included in the um, in the uh, budget in the infrastructure bill that's going to be uh, uh, considered under budget reconciliation. Uh, the PRO Act has uh, increased penalties for employers that commit unfair labor practices, and it would go as far as to make uh, officers and directors of a company personally liable for unfair labor practices that are committed by uh, an employer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that may be one aspect of the PRO Act where because those penalties are financial penalties, um, it has an impact on the federal budget because the penalties will be collected by the National Labor Relations Board and sent to the U.S. Treasury. Uh, so, um, So that is something it has the potential to fall within um, the um, so-called bird rule and could be included in budget reconciliation. I got it. But the, the 35 other bad things in the PRO Act uh, likely uh, <laughs> wouldn't be able to because they are, they're really policy changes without uh, any ramifications towards the federal uh, budget. Let's talk about that. So for our, you know, for our viewers and for our listeners, um, guys, the, the PRO Act is really, to me, there's really two big parts of it. And then, Steve, I'm going to let you pick up the ball from here. But the two parts really are, are changes in, um, in the ability of, of workers to form unions. And the second part is, is classifying workers um, as employees versus um, subcontractors, 1099 contractors. So the product addresses both of those things. So having said that, Steve, th- tell us what, what your understanding of the PRO Act is. Okay, well, uh, I would go a little bit broader than you, Gene, but uh, you're a CPA, so you're, you're taking a look at that independent contractor issue, uh, and, and you can uh, 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 predict the challenges that would happen there. Yeah. So, I would say there are the PRO Act. Let's let's first talk about what it is. Protect the right to organize. So it's an innocuous title. Uh, and I think everyone in the business community should acknowledge and stipulate that under federal law, employees have a statutory right to be able to um, choose a union uh, and have that union be their exclusive bargaining representative. But at the same time, they also have the right to choose not to belong to a union and not to have a union be their exclusive bargaining. And I think that's one of the challenges that you you've highlighted here, um, uh, because it would um, the PRO Act would uh, would essentially take away an employers' ability to communicate with their employees about whether or not having a union at the workplace is a good idea for them. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it undermines employee free choice um, by um, uh, undermining the secret ballot election. And and I could uh, and and I I could go into the detail there, but for, for interest of time, if you want to ask a follow up question, I'd be happy to respond to it. But let's leave it at that, unless you want the detail. And then the second part of it is it gives you uh, it 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 gives unions. Uh, unprecedented uh, economic weapons to use against employers. Uh, and that would include the right, uh, 
uh, to strike at any time and for any reason. And under fe- the current federal law, um, generally, a union can only go on strike in two instances. The first is where the employer has committed an unfair labor practice. The second is where the parties have bargained to impasse uh, and the union goes on and they can't reach an agreement. The union goes on strike to put economic pressure on the employer to acquiesce to the union's demands. Under the PRO Act, though, if the unions want to decide prior to bargaining that we're going to go on strike because we don't like your negotiator and we want you to replace your negotiator and we're going to go on strike until you get ready to negotiate it, they would have the ability to do it. Hmm. Um, if, if they want to put a lot of economic pressure on the employer, um, you know, maybe they're opening a new store somewhere uh, and they go on strike on the day that that store is to open uh, just to put pressure on the employer. Um, so they would have all of these tools. And the second uh, issue um, in, with this newfound power is um, the removal of what's known as secondary boycott protections. And under current federal labor law, a union can, can use the economic weapons at their disposal only uh, to put pressure on the primary employer, the, the employer that they have at school. Okay. And in the construction industry, um, it's, I can illustrate this through an example. So let's assume you have a hospital. And that hospital wants to build a new one. Okay. And they contract with a contractor who's an open shop contractor who doesn't have union agreements. Uh, and the union finds out about that and that disturbs them. They go to the hospital administrator and say, we, we think you made a mistake. You really should hire a union general contractor. Okay. All right, so the hospital administrator says, well, this, this firm's done work for us before. We look, they gave us a good price. We like their work. We're going to send it. Well, under current law, the only thing the union could do would be to put what's known as an informational ticket out in front of the project that says that the contractor um, doesn't uh, utilize, is unfair to workers because they don't utilize union wages and benefits. That's the only thing they can do. They can't coerce anybody from showing up at the job site. They can't coerce anybody that works for the hospital uh, to not go to work because of the choice of this contract. Under the PRO Act, what, what they could do would be, once they find out that the uh, hospital wants to continue to use the non-union contractor, they can set a picket line up in front of the hospital. Right. And they can contact the nurses union right. and say to the nurses union, you know, they've hired a non-union contractor. We're protesting this. We want you to join our protest, which means they're coercing the nurses union employees not to go to work. Right. So then the hospital administrator basically has three choices. One, do they try to work through this strike where the nurses aren't showing up for work and compromise the care of their patients? Not likely to happen. Two, do they go to the open shop contractor and say, hey, I need you to sign a union agreement uh, in order to get the, the unions to drop this picket line so my nurses will come back to work? Sure. Or three, do they fire uh, the open shop contractor, hire a union contractor, and pay whatever damages uh, for breach of contractor that would be owned, owed to that contractor uh, because they were dismissed from the job? So options two and three aren't really all that great for the right. 
for the hospital administrator either. So basically, the likelihood is that option two, uh, putting a lot of pressure on the non-union company to sign a union labor agreement in order to continue to do the work. And that's what's known as top-down organizing, uh, which is the best way that a union can get non-union employees in the construction industry to become union. So I think it's uh, safe to say that you're not a fan of the PRO Act <laughs> as it pertains to your industry, um, which I think, you know, I, I understand. You know what the one thing, Steve, that, that you've mentioned very briefly and, and pushed it off a little bit about the whole worker classification thing. But well, the only reason why and I realize the concerns from the from the union side, but, um, you know, you're the Association of General Contractors. So, you know, you've got a, you've got a lot of members that that are contracted out to do jobs. And my understanding of, of the PRO Act, in addition to all the union issues that you talked about, is that um, you know the contractors themselves that are used by a company and are, are generating revenue for right. that company, like you're billing out a con, you, right. you bring in a plumber to do right. the job, he's a 1099, you pay him out, right. you know, whatever. Right. You would potentially have to classify that person as an employee, which means that you know right. you would have employer employer taxes, benefits, right. and not only is that a cost to the employer, but also a lot of these independent contractors, like that sure. plumber, doesn't want to be an employee of your right. company. Am I am I stating that right? And is yeah. that an issue for your organization? Yeah, and I'll and I'll give you um, I'll give you another example of where this pinches in a second. But first, I want to, if I could, I'd like to just go back a second and address what you said about you know it's pretty apparent I don't like the pro. <laughs> Anybody, and I'm just kidding around. I just I realized that this is well, you know, well anybody in the business community <laughs> yeah. ought to wake up to the threat that what's in the pro. Right. And I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that think, well, you know, you need 60 votes in the Senate to pass anything. Uh, and um, so this isn't going anywhere, even though it passed the House. Right. Um, look, uh, no one should be complacent about relying on 60 votes. Right. Uh, we are like one or two votes away from losing the filibuster. Right. Uh, and um, so anybody out there who is in business needs to contact their senators and let them know that they feel threatened by the problem. Now to your, to your question. Um, in the construction industry, um, on, on many projects, contractors, general contractors will hire independent owner operators of trucks. Right. They deliver material, they haul away waste, you know, it's, it, uh, they sure. bring supplies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's think about the independent owner operator of a truck. Uh, that's somebody who saved up money, they purchased a truck, they want to be in business for themselves. Right. Uh, and, you know, um, uh, the contractor uh, pays them a set rate for their service, uh, and it's the desire of that independent oper operator of the, of the truck, uh, likely, to save up enough money to buy another truck yep. and hire an employee and grow their business. Yep. Uh, that's the way. That's the way our system has worked for generations. Yep. Uh, and equally troubling about this, uh, and to your point. Under the independent contractor rules in the PRO Act, in most instances, that general contractor would have to have that independent owner operator classified as an employee, which is not what the independent owner operator wants. Right. And then further complicate things, 
a lot of these independent owner operators are minority and women-owned businesses. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons that the contractor is hiring them is to help meet their goals for minority and, and female participation in, in public works uh, projects. Right. So, so you basically have a broader negative impact here. Um, you're undermining the ability of the owner-operator owner of the truck uh, to remain uh, a solo practitioner uh, with the, the hope of growing their business. Uh, and, and you're also uh, re eliminating the ability of, of small minority and women-owned companies to be able to fully participate in the, in the uh, public works marketplace. Steve Sander is the CEO of the Associated General Contractors of America. Steve, we didn't talk about safety and OSHA. We didn't talk about inflation. We didn't talk about labor disruption. And I wanted to get your thoughts on immigration. Um, but we did talk about the infrastructure bill and the PRO Act, and those are two I, critical things facing the industry. So um, you'll be back. You know, we, I, we, you know, I do want to go over some of these issues again because sure. uh, I think they're really important. But I want to thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, everybody, if you want some more advice, tips, help in running your business, please visit us at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you on a future episode. Take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.